Well, it would be great if you could have uh, that Bible reading open from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, as we continue in our series in the Incarnation. As we get started, let's pray. Loving Lord, how we thank you so much that we can know you. We thank you so much for your word written down, and we thank you so much for your word in flesh, who has revealed you perfectly. And so we pray that as we open up uh, the Bible today, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, that we may grow closer to you and grow in awe and wonder at who you are and what you have done for us. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his fantastic book, uh, Knowing God, the great theologian J.I. Packer writes this in his chapter on Jesus. God became human. The The divine son, a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there is no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the Incarnation. Nothing is so fantastic as is the truth of the Incarnation. That's why this Advent leading up to Christmas, we are exploring the whole concept of the Incarnation more in depth. Uh, Christmas is when we get to celebrate this good news, and so our great hope and prayer is that over these next few weeks, we may once again see just how awesome and how amazing This incredible news is. Uh, Today, specifically, we're going to be seeing how amazing it is that Jesus would humble himself in this way. Because in the incarnation, Jesus stepped down from the glories of heaven to become truly human and even to die. So today, we'll see that Jesus was in every way God but humbled himself to servanthood, and we are called to follow. So before he was incarnate, before Jesus took on flesh, he was always there. Uh, we explored this more fully and, and substantially last week, so if you, uh, if you weren't here last week, I want to urge you uh, to catch up on that online. But we saw that there was never a time when the sun was not. There was never a time when the sun didn't exist. And before he became flesh or became human, he was in every way God. Jesus wasn't a subordinate of God. The Son wasn't a lesser state of God. No, he was, and in every way, God. He's of the same substance and made of the same essence of God. We could say that the stuff that God is made of, the Son is made of. In fact, this is what we affirm in the words of the Nicene Creed, uh, which says, God from God, 
light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, one in being with the Father. Yes, the Son is a different person from the Father, but is still in every way God as the Father is God. Just as the Spirit is a different person than the Son and the Father, but is in every way God as they are God. Three persons, one God. The theological name for this is the Trinity. Now, unfortunately today, we don't really have time to go into the inner workings of the Trinity, nor can we ever really get our heads around it. Uh, But this is where Paul begins in these verses about Christ or in this hymn about Christ, that Jesus is in every way God. That means that before he came down and before Jesus became human, he was brought about by God eternally or eternally begotten by God. He wasn't created but was always there. And also, in being God, this came with all the glories and the perks and the attributes of being God as well. So this means that he was glorious. He was eternal. He was immortal. He was existing in the heavenly realms in all its holiness and majesty. The Son wasn't part of the creation that humanity made a mess of through their sin, but was with the Father in all his perfection and awesomeness. It's really quite difficult to come up with the words to describe just how amazing this would have been, but it would have been incredible. But Paul's focus here isn't on what the Son was up to before the incarnation, but with what the Son did with his high position. And what did he do? Well, look with me from verse 6. Who being in very nature God, he's talking about Jesus here, and being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even though he was the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, God from God, he didn't see his high position as something to be taken hold of or as something to be grasped or as something to be used to his own advantage or to be exploited. Uh, He was the one with all the power and all the authority, but he didn't consider using it to his own gain. You know, if anybody had the credentials to do this, well, it's him. But he didn't. He didn't think of himself. He didn't think about the the comforts of being in his high position. But he gloriously and lovingly said no to these things. Jesus is is unlike anyone else that we have seen before. Because usually, uh, people who are in power and authority aren't really like this, are they? For my birthday in 2006, I was given tickets to go see U2's Vertigo tour in Sydney. And not just any tickets, but 
A reserve tickets. Uh, because of various reasons, the concert was delayed. So to make up for this, the A reserve people were invited to pre-show drinks at ASA Arena. And so, you know, I felt pretty special in my A reserve arena, drinking as many Cokes out of glass bottles that an 11-year-old could handle, using my high position for my own gain, not, not mucking it with the other people. But more seriously and more sadly... Uh, people in authority usually love their power and love grasping at it and using it to its own full advantages. Uh, using all the perks. Uh, get that corner office in a high building with a great view. Don't mix it with the average Joe or even worse. Don't even care about the everyday person. But exploit them for their own power or gain. Human history is absolutely littered with leaders using and exploiting their power for their own advantage. However, Jesus didn't consider his high position to be used for himself. Jesus wasn't selfish with his position. Jesus wasn't selfish with all the perks and, and majesty. But in his graciousness, he lovingly said the big no to all of these. He was completely selfless. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He condescended himself to take on the nature of a servant. He became a human being. So look at me from verse 6 again who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The original word for made himself nothing here has the connotation of the son pouring himself out or emptying himself out in order to become one of us. Jesus denied himself the privileges of being with God in favour of stepping onto this earth and serving us. Now, it's important to note here that in doing this, Jesus did not become in any way, shape or form any less God. He didn't pour out or empty himself of any deity but rather, he emptied himself of the majesty of the high positions that came with being God. We could say that his divine capacities were restrained. On the other hand, it's equally important to note that he didn't become any less human. It's not like in the incarnation a new type of being was created Jesus wasn't 50% God and 50% human like a semi-God hybrid. Nor was Jesus just God appearing in a mask in, of human skin like some kind of actor. No, Jesus was 100% God, 100% human, undividable. We're going to be exploring more of the depths of this more fully next week. But for now, let's remind ourselves that 
in Jesus becoming nothing, Jesus was still fully God. But in comparison to his pre-incarnate state of being with God, becoming one of us and walking this earth, it's just like becoming nothing. There used to be a TV show uh, called Undercover Boss. Uh, on this TV show, the, the boss, a high-flying CEO, would go undercover and see what life was like on the front lines of their own company. So what would they do? Well, they would get, uh, get makeup on, they would get prosthetics to try and disguise themselves. Uh, a camera crew would follow them around as they worked in the various areas of their company. Uh, but at the end of the day, they went home to their normal life, to their big mansion, with their big salary, they would dip their toes into the life of their employees, but never fully enter it. But Jesus wasn't like this. He became fully and truly human. He humbled himself. And he didn't just become a human who lived in a palace with lots of servants ordering people around. No, he himself took on the nature of a servant. Now let's remember the status of a servant. They didn't have autonomy over themselves, but were answerable to their owners. They didn't have the privileges of a free person. Their purpose was to serve their owner. And this is the mindset that the son had when he became human. Because Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve. And in becoming human, it enabled him to serve. It enabled him to serve us by letting us know who God is and what God is like. It enabled him to serve the Father in obeying the Father's will. It enabled him to serve the whole of creation by redeeming it in his death and resurrection. Instead of remaining immortal... He put on mortality in order to be able to die and rise for us. Rather than letting his creation and people wallow in sin and continuously reject him, God had compassion for us and sent Jesus to serve us. And if Jesus hadn't served us, well, then we would still be in sin. No salvation, no hope, no life. But instead, the great and glorious, the immortal, the unchangeable I am became dependent, became weak, became helpless, became mortal. He valued us over his own comfort. He stoops down to our level, not condescendingly or mockingly, but lovingly and compassionately. It's like a, a loving parent who has seen their child get hurt in some way and gets down on their knee and tenderly wipes the tears from their eyes. And he ultimately gave his life up for us. Even death on the cross. This is how it's put in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What other God serves their people? Classically, uh, people do all sorts of things for their gods. Uh, People may pray in certain ways at certain times, several times a day. They may fast for long periods of time. They may burn incense. They may do all sorts of things to appease and please their gods and serve them. In our Western culture, people do all sorts of things to serve their gods of career and money and prosperity and happiness by prioritizing their work and over all sorts of human relationships and interactions in order to climb up the ladder to try and please their gods. People may think that this is what Christianity is all about, that if we serve God by doing enough good things, then he's happy with us. But if we disappoint God by doing bad things, then he's angry at us. But these verses completely flip that type of thinking on its head, doesn't it? Because with Jesus, it's not about what we can do for God, but about what God has done for us. Which means that we can be free from trying to be good enough, We can be free from struggling for perfectionism. We can be free from struggling to vie for God's love or approval because God has already served us in becoming human and redeeming us. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, the instrument of humility. He has given us everything we need in Jesus, which means that we are free to serve him and live for him out of love for him as people who have been served by him. Let me say that again. We are free to serve him and live for him out of love for him as people who have been served by him. Because just as Jesus has served us, we are called to serve others in the same way. Now let's go back to the beginning of the chapter of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul writes that there is something that will make his joy complete. There's something that he wants the Philippians to do. So imagine that you're a church leader and you're writing to a church. Uh, What would you say? Make my joy complete by dot, dot, dot. Make my joy complete by having perfect doctrine. No, that's not what Paul writes. Uh, Make my joy complete by having fantastic music. No, not, not even that. What about uh, make my joy complete by having great coffee? No, no, that's not it either. Welcome me from chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and as of one mind. Paul's greatest hope for the church in Philippi is that they would be united in love, that they would be truly one in Christ Jesus and they would love and serve one another. And the primary way through which they were to do that is to be humble. So let's look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Not one thing that we should do should be the praise for ourselves. No selfish ambition. Now, yes, it is okay for people to thank us for serving in a particular way. And yes, the church does set apart leaders uh, for the purpose of, of leadership and put people in authority. But nothing that we should do should be for, done, uh, for gaining these things. We shouldn't do stuff for the praise of others. And the best way to go about this is to value others above ourselves. To serve them. Look out for the needs of others, for the interests of others. Put their comfort above our own and put their needs above our own. And yes, sometimes this is going to be hard. It's going to be costly. It may cost us our priorities, our comfort, our preferences. It may sometimes be inconvenient. But it's a great joy and privilege to serve one another because this is exactly what Christ has done for us. Before we count the cost of how much it's going to be to be able to serve someone else, we should think about how costly it was for Jesus to serve us. It was costly for Jesus to become human. To put it lightly, it was inconvenient for him to become a human baby and become needy. It was costly to take off not needing to rest and instead putting on a frail human body that had to nap in the stern of a boat. And in the end, it cost him his own life in order to serve us. And so because he has served us, we are called and commanded to serve and love each other in the same way that Christ has served and loved us. And if we become a church or a people like this, then others should be able to look in on us and see God's love at work among us. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who was in every way God, yet stepped down and humbled himself to become human to serve, even to death. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. For nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth 
of the incarnation. Let's pray and give thanks. Our gracious Lord, how we thank you so much for how you have loved us and served us through Jesus. We thank you so much that you humbled yourself to become truly human, to show us how you would have us live, to show us who you are, even to die on a cross, to take away our sin, and then rise again to defeat death. And so, Heavenly Father, in our relationships with one another, may you help us to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Help us to prioritise each other's needs over our own, each other's comfort above our own, so that through our witness and that through our love for each other, that people may know of your love for them. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.